So welcome to the Reed and Smith Theatre, and thanks for coming to what promises to be a, a cosy but lively debate about a topic close to the hearts of all our panellists today, who are all working or have worked in the fastest growing sector in Wales, which is the creative industries. Uh, I'm going to introduce the panel to you and then ask some questions which have been sent in via Twitter, and uh, we'll open it to the floor a bit later on. But first of all, we have directly to my right, Kirsten McTurnan, who's a freelance photographer and designer working primarily within the arts industry, published in The Guardian, The Enemy, and The Western Mail. And then we have, next to Kirsten, Polly, Polly Thomas, who won the winner of the 2011 Amgi Ethfar Cymru National Museum of Wales Phot Photographic Portrait Commission. Polly's based in Cardiff. Next to Polly, we have Dan Bedridge, who's 21-year-old, a singer-songwriter in the classic tradition of artists like Cat Stevens and Bob Dylan, already picking up radio play with his release, Third Eye Blind. Next to Dan is a name you should know well, and that's uh, Chorky Davis, who grew up in Sully, just outside of Cardiff, ran away at the age of 16 to join the rock and roll circus, where his career swiftly took off. The rest, as they say, is history, and his retrospective collection, Chorky Davis, the NME Years, is on show here at the National Museum until September 2015. Uh, next to Chalky's Di Davis, uh, not related. The first gig in the music industry for Di was Dave, as, as David Barry's press officer for Ziggy Stardust. He's a music business legend, Di Davis. He's promoted gigs by the likes of the Sex Pistols and Elvis Costello. He's also managed the Stranglers. He also managed Lou Reed, and he eventually became an executive and for the entertainment giant Sanctuary. Um, next to Di, we have Charlie Francis, Started life as a punk bass guitar player before moving into production, working with many influential, influential artists, notably the High Lamas and R.E.M. Uh, next to Charlie, we have Ingrid Murphy, is that right? Yep. There's so many of you over there. <laughs> Who's, Ingrid is the subject leader for the, um, at the Cardiff School of Art and Design and is a practicing ceramicist. Next to Ingrid is Emma Jelliot, co-founder uh, of the CCQ magazine has been immersed in the art scene for many years. Next to Emma, we have uh, Jenny, Dr. Jenny Kidd from the School of Journalism at Cardiff University, co-director of the school's digital media and society research group, and used to be a web designer and developer. And finally, we have Chris Glynn. Oh no, yeah, Chris Glynn, who is a senior lecturer and illustrator at Cardiff School of Art and Design, and co-founded the Illustration Research uh, Network. So welcome everybody, put our hands together to the panel. Thank you. I'm going to ask these questions now and I'm going to ask the first question to Di Davis. Uh, Di, here's the first question. What makes the creative industry so important even during this time of austerity? Uh, can you hear us? Um, well, the... Uh, in the last great period of austerity in the uh, 1920s and 30s in uh, America, that's when the music industry, at least, was born. Uh, radio and, um, and the record industry uh, happened at that time because they provided uh, cheap entertainment to uh, very, very poor people. And um, uh, I think that uh, now uh, we, need, we, we need the same thing, really. We need... Uh, we need entertaining, and we need it to be uh, to be cheap. Uh, so, in that sense, it's uh, it's a great opportunity. Um, the 
practical difficulty, though, is that uh, when um, uh, people of the Chalky and my generation started in the music business, it was relatively easy to get in. You still needed to be very lucky, but even your early jobs uh, paid. They didn't pay well, but they paid enough for you to, um, you know, afford a cheap flat and uh, and eat. Uh, now um, uh, it's um, uh, difficult for people that don't have any funding uh, to get started. So so the industry is favouring uh, those people, artists as well as uh, future journalists or photographers or executives uh, that have got enough money uh, behind them to, to exist for nothing for a couple of years and that's uh, uh, a terrible thing for uh, in terms of um, social justice but also it's a terrible thing because a, a lot of talent isn't going to uh, uh, find its way in as a result of that. Have you want to pick that up after Dan? I suppose the reality is that even in times of austerity, I mean, the art forms and creative industries are timeless. They're always kind of something that we all want in our lives and that drive a lot of people to do things regardless of the sort of financial rewards. And that's never been more true than it is in music now. And I see people that I work with. When I started in bands a long, long time ago and was signed to big record deals in the 1980s when many people threw money around like water, that felt really unreal. And actually now it feels a lot more real because people are much more like regular folks and I think that once you've adjusted to that reality you just have to decide whether it's worth your time to get carry on with it and whether you really believe in it and want to do it passionately and I think the people that tend to do it are the ones that just are passionate and they won't allow the fact they're not going to get rich quick to stop them um, we'd all like it to be otherwise but but, but um, at the same time I think you know there's still plenty of opportunity for great art and great work to come out Okay. Uh, uh, Jenny, have you got any views on what makes the creative industry so important at this time right now? Yeah, I was just thinking as you were talking um, that, as you, as you noted, this is the, you know, the fastest growing sector uh, in the economy. And, you know, people who work in the creative industries um, work in, you know, art, design, fashion, all sorts of areas. But they also work in game design. Um, they work in marketing, advertising. And these are some real boom industries. So this is such a diverse and broad spectrum um, of, uh, of sectors that all come together to, to make up the creative industries that you know, we should really keep our, you know, our eyes open to that as we, as we kind of have this, have this debate. And I think it's really important in times of austerity that, you know, people, um, you know, we talk a lot about well-being and happiness and all of those sorts of things. And the creative industries are a large part of what makes people, you know, happy, what makes them often well. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's worth looking to that as well, I think. Okay. Anybody else want to chip in with that? I know work in um, CGI and animation and stuff like that. And... I often tell friends who've got kids that, you know, when, when I was growing up, your parents said, oh, if you could be a doctor or a lawyer, you know, that would be great. And I would add, if you could learn After Effects now, you've got a job for life. Because right. After Effects is the future of, okay. ev of everything visual, basically. I, I'll just I'll put this question to Dan also, who's, I think, maybe one of the youngest members on the panel. Have you got any thoughts on there? What makes, what, you know, you're 21 years old, just starting out in the creative industries and music. What, what is it that, you, what have you got to say? What makes it so important for you right now? What's driving your... 
Tough question, I know. But. Um, yeah, with the whole austerity thing, I think uh, if, if it's a passion of yours, that, that would never stop you. Um, if you pursue it a passion uh, to get paid to do it, you're doing it wrong, I think. You, you do, I think all of us do what we do because we love what we do to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and starting out, for sure, it's not a money maker, especially if you're going at it on your own. But we do it because we love it, and uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, I suppose the question about the internet has. Uh, some people would uh, argue internet has just has kind of really damaged uh, the arts in the sense of uh, it's taken money out. It's, it's so much free content out there mm -hmm. that musicians and photographers, especially, and writers, journalists, they're not getting paid uh, for their work. Any, yeah, I any? think maybe artists aren't valued as much as they used to be. Mm -hmm. um, but I get. I think it's easier in a way to, to get your stuff out there because of things like the internet and you have your Instagram and your Twitter and like you can make something and put it out in a second, which is great, but then you're just in this huge pool of, there's a lot of rubbish. <laughs> like anybody can put it out. So it's great, but you've, it pushes artists as well. You've got to stand out even more because you're in such a, a densely populated area. Um, yeah, you've got, to, you've got to make sure it's, it's even more unique maybe than it was okay. 10 years ago even. We'll, we'll move on to another question. This is another one sent in via Twitter. And Charlie, I'll ask you this first actually. Were there periods of disappointment as a producer or discouragement in your career? And if there were, how did you overcome? <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> there have definitely been periods of disappointment and discouragement, but I suppose when you've been doing anything for a long time, you kind of know that you're going to have peaks and troughs and you just pick yourself up, dust yourself <coughs> off and carry on. And uh, yeah, I, th I think uh, it's just a fact of life, really. You're a record producer. Yeah. Like a musician, you, you know, getting those gigs that pay money as you get older, uh, you know, you need to kind of pay the mortgage. And So was it a point in your career when you felt you might have to give it up and get a, what, a regular job? Or? There might have been times when it might have seemed like a good idea, but I've always been so bloody stubborn that that wasn't going to happen, really. Okay. <laughs> um, Ingrid, anything you'd like to thoughts on that? I, I suppose, um, in terms of peaks and troughs, I was just about to comment, actually, on the question you'd asked earlier about yeah. the fact that, you know, I've come from a... I'm a ceramicist, so we talk about the kind of creative industries, and really we call it industry, but it's a whole bunch of individuals. Um, you know, striving. Uh, I think sometimes the term industry is misrepresented, misrepresentative for a lot of people involved in creative careers. Yeah. Um, and I think in times of austerity, it's, it's been seen that self-employment increases. And I think that reflects quite well in our sector, particularly for the kind of lone practitioner, um, because there's the, there then becomes a greater significance or support for those people to get into self-employment. So I think there's very different levels of it in terms of how austerity, and, and I think sometimes, you know, when I see graduates go out now, um, the number of opportunities available to them um, from when I was a student many, many moons ago is absolutely exponentially uh, enormous, mm. um, what they can actually do. So I think, you know, when we talk about hitting those peaks and troughs as well, you come out and 
like that thing we're talking about, the internet, I could have lined my walls with rejection letters um, when I came out, but you just keep going, you keep going, and you can access those opportunities quicker and from a much broader field than you used to be able to. So okay. I think that's quite an exciting development for the individual and the industry. Oh, thank you. Uh, Kirsten, you're, you're a photographer and designer. Uh, have you uh, experienced uh, moments of, of uh, where you felt you might have to give up and turn to the job, or did you, you're still very young, but has it been an easy ride for you, or? It has, it's been. You might want to address the mic. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, it's been ups and downs, but I think, you know, uh, there, there will always be periods where you, you might not get the job that you want, or, or it, you know, certain things happen and it didn't go your way. Um, but like, you know, other people have sort of said, as long as you, you don't take it personally and you don't, um, uh, you know, dwell on it too much. And, and I think if you just keep going um, and you believe in yourself, then it'll be okay, you know. It'll, that's what you've, you've just got to do, really. You've just got to keep going. Okay. Uh, Glenn, have you got any, before we move on, do you want to say anything about this question? Yeah, yeah. Um, Chris, I'm sorry. <laughs> Chris Glenn. Well, was, uh, pigs and troughs, I mean, can, the question there popped up, can you dust yourself, can an orchestra dust itself off? If it's lost its funding, you know, it's not. It's not all about individual, uh, the solo endeavour, and uh, the, the critical thing is infrastructure investment in infrastructure investment in people who, who people those infrastructures. Um, so imagine a imagine a Venn diagram. Okay, so imagine a Venn diagram: the arts, which have been there since, you know, cave paintings, and uh, imagine then you've got the creative industries, which is this newcomer terminology. How do those two to intersect? Um, how important the arts are absolutely vital to what we do, they're absolutely uh, primarily important. So we've brought this new terminology of the, the creative industries, which has kind of come out of that um, Thatcherite self-employment ethos that we're now revisiting with the new government. Um, so I, I just want, you know, do we have spiritual industries? Do we have, you know, is, is it the education? The education is creative activity. Uh, how do you define creativity? You know, it's creative to make steel. Um, you can you can you can te teaching is an art, uh, medicine's an art. So so I think um, the question at the, at the top that's going back to a question at the top, which is why are we why are we here? What are you interested? in? What are our motivations for being here? Is it because we want the encouragement that yes you can make it, you can pull through your peaks and troughs, and yes if you want to do it with passion, yes you can do it with people. And we we made it through, so we're the examples. So I just was wondering whether we could unpack that um, the, the assumptions in this discussion about. It being an industry, that it's part of the economy, that it's a sector, you know, the religious sector, the um, spiritual sector, the educational sector, that serves the purposes of a capitalistic economy, doesn't it? So um, it's a terminology that's powerful, we're accepting it, do we accept it? That's, that's what I'm asking. Really. Sorry, right. a bit of a rambling answer. Okay, th let's just see if anybody in the audience uh, has got anything they might want to uh, ask. Anybody with a burning question that they feel they need answers today? With a, in fact, we have this kind of, all this expertise on the panel, so. I think it might be a good time to uh, uh, to uh, field a question. Or would you like a bit more time to think about it? Yeah, can I just ask? Please. Oh, crikey. Um, <laughs> 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 well, we're, we're, uh, uh, we're creative enough to invent it. Um, there was a great uh, article by the Greek uh, finance minister saying you know, why he's a Marxist and not a Marxist. I've, I've read about four, four sentences of Marx. But, um, yeah, and he was saying, you know, we need, we need to keep the awful Eurozone going to buy us time to, to invent a new one, a new system. 
Um, so let's not trash it, otherwise we'll have barbarity and fascism coming in. Um, so, that's, so just to put, put it in the bigger picture, that we're not, we're not within a sector, you know, we're not necessarily within austerity, you know, spiritually and creatively, we're not in austerity ever. So alternatives, yes, we, 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 well, what I would say is we create that together. I, I don't have a, a personal solution, no. Uh, but I could draw, draw several and send them to you by email. If you like. <laughs> <laughs> well, I asked for an alternative system, yeah. actually. You know, yeah. A system. a system, yeah. So, um, uh, do you have any... Uh... <laughs> Does anybody here? <laughs> I was just going to say, there might be an, um, an alternative to our assumption that we always need to have growth um, yeah. within our system. Um, and there are people thinking quite a lot about, about yeah. that. Does anybody think that too much funding uh, can uh, damage the arts? Not Is the it? arts, but it can, it can sorry, uh, yeah, it can, yeah, please. Um, it, 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 you know, too much funding can destroy a project. Yeah. Definitely. Okay, well, has anybody got any questions from the audience, or should I return to the Twitter ones? Anybody want to ask a question? Yeah. Please do. The more money you pay for a piece of art, whether it be a picture, sculpture, whatever, it's, it's, it's going to be good. And I think there's a tendency that there's, a, all I can see here, there's a click. And if you've got an artist who can get somebody in the city to say, I give up, how many I'm for that artwork? And somebody come along and say, well, that must be good. I'll give you six. Do you think there's a tendency where there's almost all the, I can outbid the next that's a loaded, a loaded question there. The, how, how, how do you uh, value art? And let's, uh, Di, uh, I'll come back to you. Have you got any uh, responses to that? Me? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I come from an industry where everything's got a new unit price, so you're paying, um, uh, well, you were paying, you're paying 50 cents for a download or uh, a tenor for a, a uh, album, irrespective of whether it's bad or good. That always struck me as awful. You know, the, the good albums. <laughs> I always thought the good albums should be more expensive than the uh, uh, than the bad ones. Um, but I think what you're uh, referring to is is really the power of marketing. So, um, and uh, I was actually discussing this with a, an artist who's here <laughs> um, before we started. And by, uh, if artists uh, pitch their price high, then uh, the marketplace assumes they're worth more and will pay more for their art. Um, and that applies to all, all things, really. Um, it's that thing that you have to do with your marketing and you have to make yourself, because you, if you're an artist, you are the product. Um, I always thought as a manager, I had to. Ex I used to explain to, to, to young artists I got involved with that they were both the product and the owner of the company. You know, and so you um, have to almost disassociate yourself from from you as a product and um, uh, understand that that product is going to go through a through a marketing process, and that's painful for a lot of a lot of artists. They're not doing it for that reason. And, uh, and they have to come to terms with it. Um, so uh, it's ridiculous, of course, that uh, you, know, you value art in terms, of, uh, in terms of money. But because artists have to live, that inevitably happens. I don't have any solutions to it. It's just uh, um, uh, 
what could you do about that? I don't know. <laughs> Emma, you, you are uh, uh, founder of the CCQ Arts magazine, so you might have a, perhaps an artist's perspective on this question. <laughs> I have, and I could probably go on for about four hours. But well, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting sitting here talking about it because there is no commercial art infrastructure in Wales. There are no white cubes or anyone like that. So um, it's difficult if you're, if you're an artist based near the art market and I was not saying London deliberately because you need to be in a particular bit of London and that bit changes all the time and who your friends are and how you get packaged um, is one thing about how they, the market plays into your practice. I mean, I can list about five artists I know in Wales who've got national or international representation. The rest are stumbling around in the dark about how they price their work or how they value their work. A lot of artists actually conversely massively undervalue what they do and are busy sort of undermining everyone else in the process as well by saying, yeah, I can do that for 50 quid a day or whatever. Mm. Um, <clears throat> some artists sell their, their work by the square inch. I think hmm. Childish famously did that. I think Andrew Vicari probably does as well. Um, and I'd always, we, um, when I was working with Di, actually, at the Arts Council a long time ago, we, we ran a scheme that's been running now for over 30 years called Collector Plan, which is about helping people to buy art on an interest-free loan basis, but just do a little plug for it there because it's a fabulous scheme. Arts Council England have now copied it. Um, and um, I would always say to people when they were sort of stumbling around saying, well, what should I buy? You know, buy what you like. Generally speaking, most art will hold its value. And then it's, it's really the luck of the draw quite often where that value might go, depending, as you say, on the factors of the marketing, how it's promoted, how, that art, how hyperactive that artist is in promoting themselves, but also what support they've got. And as I say, in Wales, We've got lots of places that stick things on walls and sell them, but we haven't got anybody who's taking artists to the international art fairs. So I don't think anyone from mm. Wales has been freezing New York, mm. for example. Helen, who was supposed to be here, has just been at the Venice Biennale. That's going to have an impact on the value of her, her work. And similarly, the artists who've been there before representing Wales and Venice. In fact, there are lots of people representing Wales and Venice for other pavilions. We're, we're represented in Azerbaijan and Iraq for odd reasons. Um, and that has an impact as well, but it's such a complex kind of market. You know, the bottom line is buy it because you like it. And if you're an artist, you have to think about what it's cost you to produce it. But we've got the degrees shows coming up soon and we'll have the usual hilarity of seeing people who aren't even fully fledged artists yet pricing their work at something absolutely ludicrous. <laughs> we'll fall about laughing. And we will also be picking up bargains as we go around thinking that's massively underpriced. I'll buy it and then I'll tell them to put their prices up. So it's, it is very difficult. And, but in particularly in Wales, because we haven't got, there's a whole layer missing that actually supports artists in, in pricing and promoting and helping them to make careers where they can sell their work, live from selling their work. I guess there's also, uh, with Chorgi Davis, who's um, the photographs initially for enemy front covers, over time has had this huge cultural impact, now hanging in the gallery of the National Museum of Wales. So you see that kind of uh, that, that artistic uh, trend. Chorgi, have you got any, anything you want to say about the value of art? And uh, um, when, when you took those photographs of the Sex Pistols or Paul McCartney, uh, did you think they were going to end up hanging in the National Museum of Wales? Perhaps, I hope. Well, um... Yeah, the, the, the odd thing about my show is that I put all those pictures away 30 years ago thinking that if I hung around for 30 years that they may end up in a museum if they had a cultural value. But to go back to the, the question of the price of art, it, the most frustrating thing for me is when people want to buy photographs. And um, I only like pictures that you know, are, are 14 by 21 or bigger. And they're expensive to make and they have to get shipped from the US the UK 
and then the gallery doubles the price because the galleries take 50%, which means that it's almost impossible to price them at a, at a, at a price at which people can afford to buy them. And I, I find it very frustrating that we, we can't find a way of selling photographs at a realistic price unless you do, because if you, if you do it through a gallery, then they want it signed and then they want it editioned and all this other stuff. And, you know, I personally am against the idea of signing pictures. I think it ruins it if you put your name underneath it. Um, but it's a, it's, it's a difficult thing unless you, unless you sell directly. Right. Um, which, you know, is the same thing as the bands making their money out of playing gigs and selling their CDs afterwards and signing them. And I think that's where, it, where it, it's at. You know, it's, it's unfortunate. It's, it's great to have pictures in a museum and stuff, but it doesn't mean that um, people can afford to buy them. Okay, Jim, you want to pick, just pick that up before we move on? And be, well, um, just to oh, touch yeah. on something, a couple of people have used the word, a word that's uh, got a lot of resonance, I think, currently, because I think that, in a funny kind of way, the most contemporary art form of all is marketing. And it's often referred to as the dark arts, because it's about creating illusions and manipulating emotions. And it's just become such a prevalent thing in everything that we all do, and how you market yourself. And I mean, you know, over the history of pop music, a lot of the best, the most successful musicians are the ones who've actually managed to understand how to market themselves in a very sort of effective way. And that is kind of like, yeah, it's the contemporary art form. You could maybe extrapolate that further into politics and have a real argument. <laughs> it's more illusion in the manipulation of the emotions for your own benefit, really. Okay, anybody else? Um, yeah, I was just going to say, um, it's going to be a bad anecdote because I can't remember the name of the photographer or where it happened, but maybe about a year ago there was a photo which sold um, I think it was world record breaking, but it broke, broke some kind of record. It was a black and white landscape photo of the inside of a cave, and it sold for millions. And it set up this huge debate in like the photography world because there were so many people going, but it's not an earth-shattering photo. You know, it's average. But this photographer had marketed himself, and like people have said, had just pitched himself at this ridiculous price level. And because he'd done that, he'd made himself worth it because he'd started this debate about his work, and there was all this interest. And his photos were selling for millions, and yeah, he's made a fortune of that. And it does kind of link into what I think it was Charlie was saying about so many people undervalue their work. And like, I'm not out of uni, I've not been out of uni for that many years, but I still get students like messaging me saying, I've been asked to do this shoot, how much should I charge? And I say, how much were you thinking? And the, the answer is usually between zero and 50 pounds. It's like, if you do that, people aren't gonna think you're good. Put your prices up, people believe you're good, and other people will as well, because, art is by nature subjective so there's not obviously there are ways to be good and there's ways to be bad but the majority of it is what people think of you okay thanks anybody in the audience want to respond or anything to say about that i'm happy to take any uh, any thoughts let's put the mic to mary Thank you. Do you think that there should be an industry standard that we charge, that we agree amongst ourselves as photographers, so we're not undermining each other, we're not, do you, see, do you know what I mean? So we, we're communicating amongst ourselves, so yeah. people aren't saying, well, I can get her to do it for 50 quid rather than 200 quid. Do you think that... Yeah, I, th I think there probably should, to, to some sort of level anyway, uh, within maybe a certain sort of structure. Um, I think it depends as well on a, on a lot of factors and you know, and 
how, how, you know, how, how uh, experienced you are or something like that, really. Um, but I certainly don't think, like, uh, people, like you were saying, you know, people should be putting themselves up there to do something for nothing just because they can better another photographer or anything like that. Um, I don't think, I don't like that kind of, that sort of thing, really. Um, I think that because you're pricing something that, you know, it's not a product, you've got to package kind of your services instead. So there aren't like set values for how much your time costs. So I think that artists should be open with each other because you need to know what the what yeah industry standard is. Obviously, vary it depending on your experience and your skill levels. But yeah, like the first time I did a band shoot, someone asked me, and I was like, I have absolutely no idea what to charge because it's my time, and you know I've got to work out what value that actually has. Um, so yeah, I think there should be like communications between artists, and I have no problem with people messaging me, like you know other photographers asking how much I charge because I don't think that should be a secret. <laughs> No, I don't think it should be a secret either, and I still struggle to yeah, price it. Ever. I, I, I like, change all the time after doing it for 20 years. And uh, I do weddings as well, and it's the exact yeah, same too, thing. Yeah. You've kind of got to work out what the actual market is to work out where you price yourself in the market. And you go on so many photographers' websites, and they just won't have any information about pricing. Yes. Something that's kind of fairly commercial, like weddings. Like, if, I imagine if I was going to get married, obviously the price isn't the most important thing when you're looking for something creative, but it does play a factor in where you kind of who you look at. Okay, has anybody in the audience got any burning questions? Just, just to answer that, we, we tried to do that in the late, the, the early 80s, where a bunch of us got together and agreed that 500 pounds should be what we charged, until one person came along at 350. Yeah. And took all the work away and wasn't particularly good. Um, okay. And then uh, there's a guy called BP Fallon, who's a, an Irish chap, and his response was always, you're only as expensive as your ego. <laughs> <laughs> so if you don't think very much of yourself, you don't charge very much. If you think too much of yourself, you charge a lot. Uh, but it's Chris. difficult to, to get pricing. I see people on, the, on Facebook all the time trying to figure out what to charge. And I have a friend who, who does comedians, and he charges what I consider to be very little money for the service that he gives. And I sat with his wife and tried to get him to up the price by 50 pounds. And he did the first thing. <laughs> the next client did was say no and went to a cheaper person. So I think pe pe a lot of people will pay what they think you should get paid and it just goes down and down and down. Mm. I mean, when I was on the NME, we got £4.50 for a small picture and £5.50 for a big picture. And if we did a cover, we got £24.50 with no expenses. And we sold 220,000 copies a week. Um, and, you know, it, it's still pretty much the same, I think. You know, it's a very difficult, the most difficult thing is pricing in, the, in this kind of an industry. Chris, do you want to yeah, take a similar in the illustration? I mean, what, what uh, newspapers are paying illustrators now is pretty much the same as they were paying in the 90s. It has, it's completely stayed flat. But it is absurd also um, to be pricing something that's essentially an aesthetic activity. I mean, mm. it, it's like... Pricing walking, or is it you can't put it to an hourly rate? There, there has to be some kind of transaction if, that's, if it is a transaction. But, but the thing itself and its impact and its value and its meaning is something, is something ethereal, isn't it? It's, um, well, it's both practical and aesthetic, yeah. isn't it? I mean, I was thinking, you know, with the going back to your question, the Picasso painting getting sold for millions and millions, of millions you know, breaking the records. It's interesting, that parallel world of music. So if I performed the women of Algiers on the piano, it'd be quite interesting, wouldn't it? Um, 
<laughs> Feel free. Go on. Select audience. Yeah. Eighty-six, on, two million quid each. Yeah, I could do that. Um, you know, like how much is Rachmaninoff's second piano concerto? So, well, you can buy the score, and you can pay people to, to to perform it, and you can pay for the rights. But uh, uh, beyond that, there's this there's this event work of art. There's the event, the thing that takes place, and you can't put a price onto it, even if you have to. So that's a weird. It's a weird one, isn't it? Yeah. Darren, did you want to? Yeah, I think um, if you're um, we're talking about people having careers in, uh, in the creative industries, it's very important to understand the difference between work for hire mm. and uh, royalty. So mm. if you're um, out there uh, doing work for hire, like uh, photographers, um, certainly what you were talking about being, um, uh, you know, shooting stuff for the enemy, um, uh, you, you, there's a, generally speaking, in most of these areas, there's an oversupply of um, uh, people, of photographers or artists compared to uh, the amount of work and um, um, the, the, the price is decided by those market forces. The beauty of royalties, you know, um, is that uh, um, your work is sort of special enough that um, uh, the, the industry, if you don't mind me calling it that, is, um, uh, f feels that you're worth um, it feels that your work is so good that you can participate in the profits that it makes. So um, I was talking about you know 50 cent downloads and 10 pound CDs. If, if you're, if you're uh, a su successful, if you're getting a share of that, then obviously a successful artist gets, um, you know, makes a lot of money. An unsuccessful artist um, don't make any money, and a consequence of them not making money is that they are dropped and. Don't get to put records out at all. So, so you've got these two, you know, two different systems really: the work for hire, and uh, uh, which is, um, you know, where you have to, looking at it from a career point of view, have to try and get your fee up by being special, uh, and by the people that hire you regarding you as special. But then, if you're a royalty earner, you have to um, um, please the public because your continuing opportunity to to make and sell records depends on your previous record having sold, or book, or uh, film, or TV program, or whatever. Oh, thanks, Di. Uh, yes, the hand up there, please. Uh, question, Michael. Just uh, a quick question. I mean, you, you talk about uh, creative industry, so if we go with industry, is art becoming like a commodity? And I mean, in the recent years, uh, you know, like Damien Hirst and all of that sold their work in auction house directly. Is that not undermining art to the general public, having those kind of talk about commodity and upping the price and making that two million when it costs like 10 grand to make? or you know, does that all talk about defining the art as an industry or a commodity undermined it? I think art has always been chained chain to commerce to, uh, general, generally, but I don't know, Ingrid, have you got any thoughts on that? She'd be nodding oh, away. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, there's a brilliant piece called, um, uh, by an artist called Carl Larson, which a gentleman in the front row will absolutely love. It's called uh, A Tool to Deceive and Slaughter. Mm -hmm. And all it does is the black acrylic block box that you plug in 
and it constantly uh, auctions itself on eBay. <laughs> it does nothing else. It just auctions itself on eBay, and then you buy it, and you take it home, and you plug it in, and it auctions itself on eBay, and you send it to the next owner. And it has exponentially increased in value. And I think it's an interesting thing. I think, Charles, you asked, did it undermine art that it became commodified in that way? Yeah. Um, and I think it's, it is, it's, it is linked, you know, as soon as the investors become involved in it, I think it becomes quite a different entity altogether. Um, does it undermine it? There's the other thing where you could sort of say, oh, you know, all pub publicity is good publicity. If it brings kind of high-end art into engagement, uh, into conversation, you know, I remember Damien Hirst for the love of God, the diamond encrusted skull caused absolutely Ferrari, but I never had students so engaged with the value of talking about the value of work because it became front page news. So, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a tricky one. I'm I'm interested in other people's views on that one. Yeah, I think can I chip in a bit? Yeah, I think there's an interesting kind of blurring between cost, value, and price, and the cost is actually what it what it costs you to make it, and that includes all your experience, your knowledge, your you know, creative practice and skill. The value is, is what people actually place on it, and that could have something to do with how it plays into the market, but also how it resonates with them, whether they like the tune or whether they like the work they're looking at. And in the end, somehow there's a complicated formula, and please don't ask me to draw it, because I don't know what it is, that leads to price. And it's a very tricky, fragile kind of relationship but they are three very very different things and actually I think this is the thing that people wrestle with when they're trying to put a value on their work and calculate a price you need you obviously you need to factor in there, there are all sorts of formulas out there that people keep coming up with but it's very personal what it actually costs you to produce it what you bring to it and then how that actually plays into the market in terms of the value that people put on it even if that market is somebody going I really love that I want to look at it forever and I'll stick it on my wall and those those things are, are difficult when it comes to, you know, when, you, when something suddenly explodes, and you say the Damien Hurst or you know, whatever, because um, it kind of skews that argument, but at the bottom line is actually this stuff costs something to make, and if it's any good, somebody will value it, and you will find a price as a result of that. I've yet to hear of any artist uh, refusing to accept more money for what they've made. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Charlie, you're a producer when, when, you're, when you get in, when you, you know, as you kind of rise up the ranks of, uh, and you get more, offered more money for, have you ever, uh, for instance, taken less money to produce something? Have you ever turned anything down as a producer because you didn't actually like the work? Or, uh, turned down because I don't like the work? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Plenty of times, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not good for you. Yeah, but let's go back to the back to the floor. Any uh, any questions at all? Yes, please. Get the microphone so we can hear you. Thanks. Um, I know Ingrid uses the internet a lot in her work um, as a technology basis. How do you think it's affected the other people on the panel's work? Um, have you adapted to it and started publishing stuff online or using the internet as a as a new basis for your work, or do you think it it harms the industry? That's a great question, by the way. I think. Has, has the internet, is the internet damaging uh, any of the industries that you're involved in? I think that's a weird question, really, because yeah. I think the reality is the internet has completely changed the nature of human society. So it's kind of like, that's to look at it through the prism of how things were 25 years ago, and you can't do it anymore. It's like the landscape's changed. So 
we're dealing with it and it's kind of like we're in the throes of an industrial revolution we don't even begin to understand and the ramifications are like they change on a daily basis so we're all just like corks bobbing on that sea and trying to make sense of it I think. Um, I just wanted to say as well because um, another area I do is like news photography um, and well, like Dan was saying earlier it's so much easier to get your work out there you know stick it on Twitter stick it on your website have a link social media is great for that kind of thing it also like Dan was also saying, like devalues it and people expect it for free. And I think one of the most depressing Twitter searches I've ever done was, can, I, can we use this photo? And it's just a feed of national, like national, international news organizations just approaching people and thinking that a credit is gonna be okay to use for people's photos. But the most depressing thing about it was the amount of people saying yes, because it's not their livelihood. And because everyone can kind of take a photo, put it out there, and it doesn't really make any difference to them whether or not they get paid because it's not how they make their living. It devalues it for the people who are trying to make a living from it. But you can get your work out there. So as long as you're kind of headstrong enough to say, I do need to get paid for this, I've, I need to be able to afford to live, then every so often you can still hit gold in ways that you wouldn't have been able to before the internet because the work wouldn't have been seen. I Six and one half dozen of the other, because it depends, obviously, what medium you're working through. Like, obviously, you can't download and, and print off a ceramic pot and then pass Not it yet. off as your own. Not yet. <laughs> you, you can, if you've got a 3D printer, maybe, or like, you know, but it, in terms of, like, I can only speak from the music side, and um, you see, in my lifetime, all I've ever known, we've always had the internet. We've always had computers. That's just the way we've grown up. And um, I, I distribute my music through uh, an independent distribution company in North America called CD Baby. Um, and it's run by an independent musician. And 